What's up, everybody? We have a special treat today on A Creator's Journey. Not only is it a video version, but we have a very special guest. I am so honored to have Josh with me today. Josh is from Vancouver, British Columbia. And, and I'm going to read you a little bit here because this is, this is such an interesting bio, and I'm sure we're going to get into a lot of this. Uh, he's got a career path from actor, comedian, um, a dog walking business, which which I think is fascinating and brave, uh, wine bar, cookie dough, and Amazon. How you get all of those into one, you know, if you can mold all of those into one, that'd be fantastic. So Josh, uh, welcome uh, to the podcast. If you would like to, you know, introduce yourself to the audience and we'll, we'll get into this. Yeah. Thank you so much, Peter, for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Uh, hello, everyone out there in radio podcast land. Uh, my name is Josh. Uh, I currently am a consultant and business coach to helping lots of people start or build their own business, but only because I have gone along a huge journey of many different businesses that I've either worked for or grown myself. And in doing so, have learned so many of the do's and don'ts and pitfalls and ladders to climb and avoid. So anything I can do to help people along that journey is something I too love to help with. Fantastic. And, you know, uh, for the audience, when Josh reached out to me, I, I thought this was a perfect topic because this is something that I think we all as creative people and when we, you know, we, we create things and we, whether we realize it or not, what we're really doing is the, the front end of a business for the most part. And I know for me personally, when we get into the, ah, let's talk business side of things. That, that's when I start to get real nervous because that, that's when the anxiety kicks in because I know that it's like, I'm a creative person. I'm, you know, I, I go with the wind and that is not a good business plan. <laughs> so when Josh reached out to me, I was like, perfect. We absolutely have to talk about this. And I think that this is something that the audience really should pay attention to because if they're lucky enough, at some point, they're going to reach a, a decision point of, okay, I got to take this to the next level. This is the side hustle becomes, you know, almost the day hustle, right? And and that's when you've got to have a plan. And that's when you need really good advice. And and I, you know, I thought, yes, Josh is the guy for this. So we're going to, we're going to dive into a few topics here, but let's, uh, let's dive into this. So uh, first of all, you know, we all hear this, this topic come around and the phrase MVP. Right. And whether we realize it or not, that's what we're all doing. You know, uh, we just don't label it. Right. Anything we make is an MVP, a minimum viable product. So, uh, Josh, could you please uh, dive into the details there? You know why it's important, um, how you handle these things. Uh, you've obviously been very successful and I'm sure you'll continue to be. So, you know, please g give us some advice and uh, give us a little more detail. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first thing I love to talk about is something that you kind of brought up is that paralyzing fear you have when you're like, okay, I'm a creative and now I've got to do the business part and now I'm freaking out. And so the first thing I like to talk about is something that's been coined as the gap. And that's as a creative person, you have really good taste. It doesn't matter whether you're cooking food, you're like a food artist or you're a painter or you're selling something on Etsy or you're coding, it doesn't matter what it is you're a creative deep down. We all technically are. And so you've got this really amazing taste and it's like your taste is a high level. So when you see something, you're like, this is good or this is bad. And usually you have better taste than some other people, but your skills aren't quite there yet. And so you get stuck in fear of like, ooh, if I build something or when I do, it never looks like what, I, what my taste is, how, what I like it to be. And even when you improve your skills, so does your taste increase and improve. And so there's this gap that's consistently there, no matter what we do, that's always going to make us like kind of freeze up of like, I'm not good enough. I'm never going to be as good as my taste. And so if we can, that's like the first hurdle to get over. And then the second one uh, is, the, is the MVP, the minimal viable product. And that's the idea that you do not have to make 
a $1 million business right out of the gate. You can break it down to the most fundamental basic offering you have and see if the market responds to it or not. A great example I love to use for the MVP is say a restaurant. Most people or the top three excuses or hurdles that people want to come up with are, I don't have the money, I don't have the time, and I don't know what I'm doing. And so if you look at a restaurant, you think, okay, that's going to cost me $500,000 to open a restaurant, do all the renovations, hire staff. I don't know how to do any of that. It's too expensive. I don't have the money. I don't have the time. And we often shut it off right there. But if you break it down to what it is, you're like, well, actually, like, what do people want when it comes to a restaurant? It's like, well, I want to go out and I want to put food inside of me. Like that's, that's, that's the absolute basics that, that a customer or a target market wants. It's like, okay, well then what if I do an event version of it? Like a one day, just get my concept out there and do it as an event. And then you can do it one day. You could rent a restaurant. You could hire staff and do all that for there. And it probably cost you closer to like $5,000. And Peter or anyone listening might be like, well, I don't have $5,000. No worries. You can break it down even further to a supper club at your own house. Or if you don't have the space, use a friend's house, just a long table with like five or six chairs on either side. And what, again, whatever your concept is, wine at every course or a, like Asian fusion. Does, if you have a chef that already in mind or if you want to do a very particular type of baking to get that concept across, you can invite 10 friends, have them pay 20 bucks. They come to your house, you cook for them, you get an idea of what the menu looks like, how to kind of reach out to people and talk about your idea and it wouldn't cost you anything, just the cost of food that you'd pay for anyways if you were making your own food for yourself. Maybe just a little bit more expensive because you bought a couple bottles of wine or spirits or whatever. And so it went from $500,000 down to like $400 and you're getting 20 bucks from your friends. So really you're probably breaking even maybe on that very first one, but you're getting a good idea of do I like this? Am I good at it? And do the people that are experiencing it like my concept and idea and doesn't need to shift. And then you can keep going down that path. It's like, okay, the first supper club went great. Let's try the next supper club. And you can repeat that process over and over again until you either hate it, love it, or have a viable product. Yeah. And you know what, that, that is perfect. And, and I, for firstly, I love this analogy here with the food and the business because, uh, yeah, I love food. Um, <laughs> You know, and, and as you're going through this, you know, it's, it's resonating with me and hopefully with everybody else in so many ways, because what you're I'm also hearing in there is adaptation. And like you say, you know, OK, we all are thinking to ourselves, you know, I want to be the next massive restaurant. I want to be the next massive art gallery. I want to be the next big thing in photographic studios or artist or recording artist, whatever it may be, but that knowing of what you want as the end goal is not where you should look at something from the perspective of starting out on that journey, right? So I love the idea that you're saying there is, is break it down. You know, yes, you may want a massive restaurant, hugely popular. Uh, that's not going to be day one, right? And if that's your, you know, and at least in my interpretation, if that's your goal from day one, you've fouled before you started unless you are you know the right people you are super rich in which case you probably don't mind um but crank it down to that thing of that says what's a sensible place to start and and also something important in there you know when it comes to the costs and this is something that i think often people don't think about is you're going to have to invest to explore the option of as you say is this going to be successful? Is this even something I want to do? And I like the sort of the wise words there of figure out what is a reasonable cost for you to start with. Because you, you may get lucky, you may break even. You might not. So let's assume that you don't. How much cost to learn the knowledge to go back and try again, right? Absolutely. Because... If you, let's say you did option number two, which is you did the event and it costs you $5,000. You have to ask yourself, am I comfortable losing $5,000 because nobody showed up? And if no one shows up, like how devastating is it to then try again? Whereas if you're like, I'm not comfortable losing $5,000, but I am comfortable losing $200. And 
or even less, like whatever yours is. Uh, another great example I have is um, an app. I have a company that wanted to create an app for the financial industry, but it was just like, we don't really know what they want exactly, but we know that there is a gap in the market. And so all they did is they went on the Canva, hired someone off of Fiverr to make the pictures of the app, like just like a designer, like that it was not functional. You couldn't touch it or move anything. It was just pictures of what the app would look like. And then they brought it. They went and sat down with 1,000 financial advisors and asked them, if an app did this for you, would you like it or not? And then they said like, oh, it needs to do this. It needs to do this. And then once they find, like all it was was an idea extraction. They weren't selling them anything. They're just like, we'd love your advice. And people love giving advice. And so I do too. Who doesn't, right? It makes you feel good. Yep. And so they sat down with it. And after 1,000 people, they ended up having this really amazing version of, a, of pictures of an app and got the people that liked it to sign letters of intent that they would buy it at a certain price. So then when they went to investors and developers, they said, hey, we have 250 people all willing to pay $100 a month for this app. And so 25,000 bucks a month, right out of the gate, investors were like, I will give you a million bucks or whatever it was. I can't remember exactly how much they got, but it was like several hundred thousand to buy engineers to create it. And it was, and now they're doing really well. Excellent. And, and you know, the, you've you've sort of taken it to the the topic that I was going to ask about next related to this, which is the other part of that fear is getting going out to folks um, and getting feedback. I'll give you a, a, an example. I'll give everyone an example here. Um, if anyone's been listening to my other podcasts, they'll know full well that you know I'm a, I'm a app maker by you know profession. Um, and I have a couple of apps and I'm working on a game. And I have, you know, taken that that stance of, okay, I've reached MVP. I asked my communities um, who wants to try this for me and, and give me honest feedback. And, you know, I, I said to them, look, hey, I, I will give this to anyone that wants to try it. All I'm asking in return is honest feedback. If you think it's great, tell me that. If you think it's terrible, tell me that and anywhere in between because I always look at things and I think this is something folks have to adjust to is of course I think my idea is the best idea in the world but I've probably got it wrong somewhere <laughs> and so you know because the, the other thing is we live with these these ideas right and the longer we live with them the more we become blind to the downsides to the, to the bits we don't think about to the you know, like with apps, for example, it, you're always thinking, well, a user is going to do this, then they're going to do this, they're going to do that. For, you know, like using the restaurant as an example, they're going to come to the door, they're going to sit at a table, they're going to order something, they're going to get their food, they're going to love it, and they're going to pay and they're going to leave. Well, maybe, right? But any number of things could happen in the middle. They may get a phone call and have to leave before they get the food. Have you thought about that? You know, and so that's kind of, part of the mindset, I think, of, of when you're going out of the gate here to think about what if it doesn't go according to plan? How can I not have a recovery, but how can I get it, steer it back into a path that makes sense? And part of that too is, is definitely if I ask customers to invest, you know, you, you see them all the time, these Kickstarters and everything else, essentially saying, look, I'm, I want you to buy into a product that doesn't exist yet. And I think that makes people nervous sometimes. I know it does for me because now it's a case of, okay, I love that other people are holding me accountable to actually do what I say I'm going to do. But there is also that anxiety kicks in of, well, now I got to do it, right? <laughs> so any advice there on how you deal with that kind of internal struggle on that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're talking a little bit about imposter syndrome. You're talking a little bit about like confidence versus self-identity. And so there's a, there are a few things. Um, one, I think that you can build your self-confidence in yourself uh, through integrity is, is a really great way. And, and by doing that, because again, there's a big difference between confidence and, and 
the way you view yourself. Because uh, confidence can be situational confidence. You know, if you're the only person that can play basketball in a room full of people that can't play basketball, and someone says, "Hey, is anyone? Can anyone here teach basketball?" You're probably going to feel a little more confident than everybody else, even if it's just a little bit. And so that's like a good example of situational confidence. But self-esteem, the thing that really makes you know yourself and what you are capable of, is only, in my experience, through integrity. Right. The more you say, "I'm good," and I'll use the gym for an example. I'm going to go to the gym, and then you show up to the gym, and then you do that. You're like, "I did that. I said I would do it, and I did it." Long after the mood I was in when I said I would do it, like I was excited to say I was going to do it tomorrow. Then tomorrow came, and I was like, "Oh, it's raining outside," but I still did it. The more you get yourself and push those boundaries, the more you're like, "I can do anything I put my mind to," because I don't. Let myself quit, and again, you don't have to start at an app like I, I did an app, and now it's out to the people, and now I'm going to do it. You can start with I'm going to go on a walk outside twice this week. Like you can start、mm-hmm. small, build up your own self esteem, and then move out from there.、Uh, hopefully, that gives some people some a quick little bit of advice about self esteem and like really being comfortable with knowing where your trust is in yourself. And then about the imposter syndrome, this is always an interesting one. Because I also have mentors who are business consultants that consult for large corporations around the world,、um, and I remember when I, like a, fr- a friend of mine or a mentor of mine, was advising for Google, and which when he told me he was doing that, I'm like, give me all the advice you can. But I asked him very similar question about imposter syndrome. I was like, because I was getting a client that was trying to build a business plan through. Uh, immigration, like the whole point of his business plan, was he was trying to buy a business to come into Canada, and he needed a plan on how that was going to develop and create jobs here in Canada. And I was like, "Oh, I've never built a business plan for the purposes of government visas. I've only ever built a business plan for the purpose of like investment and people making a viable plan." And so I was like, "I'm not really sure how to do that, but I'm sure that I can call the company and ask them all these questions." And so. I, I asked my mentors, like, would, "Do you ever get a question that's asked you that you don't know the answer to, and you don't really know what to do?" And he said, "Daily." He's been doing this for fifty years. Every single day, he gets asked a question that he does not know the answer. He just calmly is like, "Let me sit with this for a bit," and he does either figure it out himself or knows who to go to to figure it out. And we often do. We often do know that we love it. Like. If you're alive today, you've figured something out, right? Like, you you've got a job, you have money coming in, you either have, have like tricked your friends into taking care of yourself, or you've like whatever it happens to be, you figured it、mm-hmm. out. So trust yourself that you are better than you think you are, because your brain.、Uh, I think the definition of imposter syndrome is the psychological phenomenon in which people are unable to internalize their own accomplishments. That yeah, I I think that that that's a great description because you know I I get it yeah、uh, you know I I've been a software developer for oh I don't know over at least over twenty odd years、uh, more than I probably want to admit to but when I look in the mirror I can tell、uh, but even today and I and I tell this I have you know I'm、uh, engineering manager now and I so I have developers、uh, report to me and and. Depend on me, but I'm always honest with them, and I'm always honest with myself, and I always tell them, I don't have all the answers. All I've learned over the years is more and more techniques and refining of my techniques to figure out how to go find those answers, and that gives me the confidence to sit with folks and say, Look, I'm not saying I'm the best, but I I know that I'm at least good enough. For what the situation needs, because I know how to figure out that situation and move on to the next step. Right? Say to yourself, "Well, look, I got this far. Right? I couldn't have got this far if I didn't either a know what I was doing and didn't realize it, or b just have the confidence to say I'm gonna do." When I'm doing live streams and things, I always have developers. People come in and they say, "I want to get started being a software developer." You know, but I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that, or I don't know anything, and I don't want to embarrass myself. And I always say to them,、uh, "We've all been there. 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, some of us still put our foot in it. I know I do, right? Sometimes you're like, I'll have those days where it's like, you'd think that I didn't know anything, right? Mm -hmm. But I know, well, tomorrow's probably going to be better, right? Or that sense of relief when you figure it out that bolsters your confidence. And I always say to folks, we all go through it. It doesn't matter how long you've done something. It doesn't matter how successful your business is. It's good days, there's bad days. All you got to do is believe if you're having a bad day, sure, the next one's going to be better because like you said, you're still here, right? You got this far. That didn't happen because you didn't do something right. And so trusting yourself on making those decisions and it, preferably, like you say, I, and, and I know you mentioned this, uh, that's why mentors are great, right? I think that they're there for that day when you're like, oh, you know, this is, this is not good. Reach out to one of them, right? The, yes, I guess call it a support group. That's what it's there for. I, I do this all the time, um, sort of drawing on my own experience. When I do my coding live streams, and believe me, folks, if you ever want to feel anxiety and panic, build something in public because there's we are so lucky and so blessed that there's always someone on the internet that wants to tell you what you're doing wrong. <laughs> you know, how lucky are we? Um, but that is such a confidence booster because not only will there be a whole bunch of people who want to help and see you succeed and help you solve problems you don't know the answers to, but it'll boost your self-confidence. It, it'll be terrifying at first. I'm going to admit that, right? But that was such a way for me to get over this problem of worrying about what other people think, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think you nailed it. The old nail on the head there with that one, because when I first started in sales, like over a decade ago, I just remember like just so scared to make that first phone call. And they asked that we record the phone calls so we could hear them back and hear what we did oh. wrong. And I was like, oh my God, like, I don't want anyone to hear these. But once you get through like the first couple, it starts to get easier. And then all of a sudden you listen back to them and that first recording's awful. But by the time you've listened to the 30th one, you're like, I want to get better. How do I get mm -hmm. better? And now you're like, you're just busting out phone calls and you're trying new things. You're like, okay, where did I make that mistake? And so if you're, if you're live out there in the world coding and people are watching you do it, you're right. People are going to be like, let me tell you, but it's yeah. like, <laughs> but with your own confidence, I mean, other, you're only going to get better. You're going to learn, learn how to differentiate which one's good feedback versus like, thank you, sir, please have a seat. Right? Like mm -hmm. it's really, it's really empowering because you can start to understand you're like, actually, you don't understand what I'm building. And that's awesome that I know that. And you can thank you so much for your advice. Humble, 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 humility, 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 go sit down. And then the next person, because I think even if you look at some of your favorite and some of the most top selling apps on either the Apple store or on uh, uh, Android, they still have like 4.4. Like there are still people that hate them. Like even the best mm -hmm. stuff out there, they make mistakes. It's out there. People, someone hated it for some reason, whether it's customer service, uh, too expensive. So yeah, you just got to get over that hump. And yeah, I think you're right. Just like, just start small, start with your community, start with people that you like and work your way up. Yeah. And, you know, I think that uh, sort of that, that app store model or uh, that, uh, that viewpoint of the user uh, extends to, to so many other things. Uh, you know, for example, like uh, let's take any, any pick any fast food franchise, right? There's going to be someone who's like, well, I love this. And then there's someone who's, it's not the greatest, but I'm hungry and it fills a gap. And then there's going to be that person who has never had the food, but just has an absolute disagreement with the company, the business model, the person that owns the company, whatever it may be, anything but the food. And, and that's just kind of the way it goes with the app store. They, they, they can hate a company and will one star it because they hate the company, not because they've ever used the app, right? Or, and like I say, not because they've ever eaten the food, except that's going to happen. If you think you're going to get you know, whatever, Yelp, five stars, you name it. If you think you're going to live in an entire five-star life, maybe you want to think again before you start this because <laughs> uh, good luck with that, right? <laughs> or if you do, 
package it and sell it because I know millions of people that will buy it. And you're looking at probably two of them right now. <laughs> yep. If anyone out there can do something with zero criticism, like show me how, because I haven't found a way. My mentors haven't found a way. My friends haven't <laughs> found a way. Oy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, also embrace that aspect, I think, because I think, you know, I always tell people um, my moment of greatest learning is when I fail miserably. Right. I don't really learn anything from success. It just means, yeah, I've got that right again. You know, yeah. check the box, move on. But when I mess something up and it may, you know, take me an hour, uh, a day, a week, a month, and then I find that result again, the motivation for that, but that also that, that learning, that new learning experience. And it tells you this is something you're never going to forget because you worked really hard to solve that problem. And your reward was you solved it and you're just going to go from strength to strength. So, you know, don't be afraid to, to fail. So let me ask this question. Um, let's say that I've got some idea. It can be anything. And I'm like, you know what? I, th I think I can do this. I think this can be a thing. Let's say, you know, let's put it in sort of terms of a side hustle. Sure. Right? How do I... How do I, where do I start? What, what's your suggestions for a, a, a sensible way to approach this? Other than, obviously, the first thing you should do is reach out to Josh and get advice. That, that's yeah. number one, right? Links in the yeah. show notes, folks. That's number one, because that, that's why he's here. Assuming that's number one, what else is the recommendation? Yeah, so be unabashedly curious like a child like if you've ever been around a kid watched a kid on tv if your friends have kids if you have kids you'll know that they do not get shy about questions they're just going to go up to you and be like why is this cup blue and you're like oh because the, the they cut the store only had blue and green why well because that was the only color that why like it, it goes on and on until you're like i don't know what the philosophical i don't even know why i'm here <laughs> <laughs> so like that's the kind of curiosity I would recommend. I don't think it's necessary, but I encourage it because what happens is we start to have a mentality around selling our, our idea and our product versus mm -hmm. having a curiosity around what it is people want, right? Uh, and when you realize the need you're trying to fill, the solution you're trying to provide for people, whether it's a product or a service, you're going to start to learn a whole bunch about that because you're right. There are, like, if you... If the person that made Boylan soda, for example, was like, oh, Coca-Cola has already done this, we wouldn't have an alternative to Coca-Cola, mm -hmm. right? There's mm -hmm. dozens of different soda companies. There's tons of different types of computers. Like, Because someone else has done it doesn't mean you shouldn't. The best thing you can do is just start asking questions and find your target market. And I don't mean your friends, because your friends are not necessarily your target market. <laughs> you got to find out that need that needs to be filled and then start asking those people what we call idea extractions. You just, you know, you can even tell them, you can say, Hey, I'm not here to sell you anything. I just want some advice. Cause again, people love giving advice. Just because I want some advice on this idea that I've got. And then you're just going to start asking like, Hey, um, like, let's just say, for example, you are designing an app and say it is an app that, uh, they already have a bunch of these, but like the track your sleep. And like, lets you know if you're good or bad at sleeping. Uh, it's like, oh, you, you're, you snore. And so you might be like, hey, I've got an idea for this app. Um, if you were to use an app like this, I know you said the reason I reached out to you is because you already use an app like this. Um, what is it you love about that app? Like, why do you use it daily? Like, what, what do you find interesting? And then they're just going to start telling you everything they love. And then they're going to start telling you everything they dislike and what doesn't work and how it, you know, I wish it had like a heart rate thing that connected to me, but was like free and didn't cost money. And like, you can just start writing this information down. And then again, at the end of the conversation, you basically only have to ask two things. One, they've given you everything you need and you can say, amazing. Do you know anyone who would benefit from an app like this? And they're either going to say, I do know a couple people, or they're going to say me. And then you've got your first customer and then you can just, again, and all of that is free. You, it's, it's risk. It's the lowest possible risk you can do. And again, it doesn't matter whether it's a sandwich shop, uh, a sport, anything you want to build, anything you want to create, just start asking people and telling people about it and figuring out if it is viable. Because if you go up and you do 30, 40 idea extractions with 30 or 40 people, 
and everyone kind of is like, nah, I don't want that. And I don't like that. Or this is perfect. Either you haven't found your target market or you got to move on to another idea. Cause I think in one of a podcast I heard you do earlier, it was the idea of like knowing when to quit wrapping up and starting again. Cause sometimes it's just easier and less time consuming to fix something than it is to be like, scrap it, starting fresh. Yeah. And that, that is hard. And uh, thank you for, for mentioning that episode because I felt that that was something that was important to put out there because, um, you know, I think that people have this perception that every idea that somehow makes it to market is, you know, maybe that's that, you know, the first time they've heard of these people or this company or this product or something like that. And therefore they just magically hit upon this success. And, you know, part of what I wanted to get across into that episode to people was, mm, well, you know, I know, drawing again from my app developer experience. Yeah, that's the one you saw. Let me show you this folder full of the, you know, 157 failures first, right? Um, and and therefore, don't be afraid to say, you know what, I'm not getting good feedback here or I'm not getting a good feeling and and walk away from it. Hey, not not every idea is going to be great, but maybe think about it again in six months, 12 months, right? It could be you're just, you know, hey, you maybe you're ahead of your time on something. Or maybe the idea is good, but you're not in a place to make that idea come to market. So, you know, I, I guess I always say don't ever throw anything away because you never know. I think, you know, I think you've answered my next question here, which was going to be um, what, you know, if I was coming to you, what what should I do ahead of time? But I think you've answered it right there, right, which is do do some kind of research have some kind of idea as to how you think you might execute this. Uh, you don't have to have all the answers, but you know anything else that is like, hey, if I was to come to you and say, hey, Josh, I need, I need your help, buddy. What, what do you think? What would be sort of a checklist that I would have to, would be good idea to do before coming to you? And sort of those, well, I always ask people these five questions. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The, the questions that I ask people before they come work with me is like, where are you like, you have to have an idea. You have to have some, you can't just be like, I want a business, but I don't know what it is like that. <laughs> I can't really help with that. That's like a mindset coach kind of situation and, and open mm -hmm. yourself up. Uh, for me, I just ask like, what's your business? What industry are you in? And where are you in your business? Like, have, are you, have you made traction? Are you pre-revenue? Like, this is kind of where I want to know. And then we can build up from there. Um, I do want to touch on one point that you yep. brought up, which is which is great. It's also touched on in a book called "Where Ideas Come From." It's all about the history of innovation, and okay. it talk and it talks about in there specifically YouTube. And there was like thirty different companies that were doing the exact same thing as YouTube before YouTube, but mm. they were all around during the the twenty eight k and fifty six k modem times, where oh. you you just can't share videos. <laughs> with that kind of speed, right? And then, of course, cable and DSL came out, and that's when YouTube came in. So YouTube was, like, ready to go, and all these other companies were trying, but were just too early. Like, the market wasn't there for it. And then the uh, the innovation of something else happened that allowed YouTube to exist, which is much faster upload and download speeds and sharing speeds that came along with cable, DSL, and now we've got 5G and all this other stuff. And so it's, like, it's just mm -hmm. instantaneous, if you were the person that had YouTube that was like, oh, you know, like other people aren't making it right now. I really don't know what to do. It's too slow. And you just threw it away versus like you said, just shelve it. It's a good idea. Just maybe it's not ready yet. And then all of a sudden cable modem comes out and you're like, oh, holy crap. Right. Like <laughs> you might just need that other thing. Like, for example, one of the very first businesses I ever wanted to run was a wake park. Uh, it's a wake, okay. a, a wake park for those who don't know. It's just, it's wakeboarding behind a boat, except on a cable system instead of a boat. And interesting. Yeah. It's super fun. It, it like, if you go wakeboarding on a boat, you'll realize that you usually only get about three or four goes because you, you fall off. The boat's got to come back around, pick you up. And then you've got to come all the way out of the water. And you like, you just don't get a lot out of boat wakeboarding as you do with the cable system you get a lot more laps, a lot more runs, a lot more time on the board, a lot more tricks involved. And so I was like, I want to do this. And they have a whole bunch across America. 
They have some in Australia. They got a bunch in Germany and the Philippines. They're like really big there. And, and Canada has like one and like nowhere near me. So I was like, okay, like it would be great to have one in Vancouver. And so I reached out to a few different companies that do wakeboarding behind the boat. And I was like, hey, I'm thinking of doing this. Do you want to partner? They immediately laughed in my face. They were like, if you can get this city to say, okay, we're on board. We'll give you all the money you want. And I was like, oh, amazing. Me, young entrepreneur, ready to, to go um, there. I sat in maybe 50 or 60 city council meetings. I got signatures from all these different people in the city saying it's a good idea. I sat in front of my local IGA and grocery store, just like getting signatures from, from people saying like, would this be something you like? I got like 35,000 signatures saying like, telling the city like your population wants this. And they were like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> I was like, okay. Oh. And so it just got shut down. <laughs> And so the, and there's nothing wrong with the idea that work in all these other locations. And, you know, it's still something I think about and I'm just like, okay, where would I want to do this eventually at some point, but at that point in time and the location that I was in, it just didn't work and I had to let it go. Interesting. That, that is fascinating because yeah, as you're describing it, you know, it's one of those where you're like, yeah, this, this sounds brilliant. Why, why would, why would you not do this? Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't bring up an interesting point because Everything you did, all that work you put in and everything else, you, you, you checked all the boxes, but that immovable external entity said no, and that, that was the end of it. But I, I love that you got the right perspective too, which is, okay, they said no at that time, and, and everyone agrees it's a brilliant idea, yet you still didn't get there. But I also appreciate and love that that it's like ah it'll have its time you know so that's that's great I, I love that yeah oh my gosh sorry i just wanted to say even gene rottenberry or or captain picard said you could do everything right and still fail and covid is yeah. a great example of that you know like the mm -hmm. amount of people that opened started event businesses or opened a restaurant in march of 2020 only to find out that that is no longer the case. Uh, yeah. Learn that you could do everything right and still fail, which is why I always recommend MVP. Break it down to the smallest, low-risk version of what you want to do and then see if the market enjoys it or not. Well, actually, you know, that, that brings up a, a thought um, and, and a question here. And uh, now that you mention it, because, yeah, with the, with the you know, the situation of, you know, COVID changed the world. Let, let's be honest, right? Um, and hurts business of all levels. Does in fact, probably the bigger you you were, the the harder it hurt, right? And still does. And and that this gives me a thought now that you mention it, which is, you know, always entertain the idea that something may happen, be it you or or whatever it may be some uh you know worldwide pandemic hopefully never happens again in our lifetime but hey you know yeah um never be afraid to say do i know of a way to pivot and should i and and I, by that what i'm thinking there is you know as we're saying about restaurants and everything else the the pain that they went through but the realization i think of well, right now, the only way we can stay in business is to take the food to, to the customer as opposed to have the customer come to us. You know, let's talk about that briefly, if you don't mind, which is knowing when to say, you know, maybe it's not walk away, but it's, okay, go in a different direction and how you handle that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had a friend, uh, great chef, uh, was on Iron Chef and has those pans on the wall. Oh, he, mm -hmm. he was... He was there. He was running a really good restaurant, been around for seven years. Uh, also, I was there during the beginning, like a long time ago. I worked as a server in his restaurant and I still got people who were like, I've never heard of this place. And I'm like, this guy has been around for like 30 years. What do you mean you've never heard of it? Like, so even then you're <laughs> still getting new customers and stuff like that. But that I digress. But during the time of COVID happened, he had to make a decision. Just like you said, he's like, do we go the DoorDash, Uber Eats way of sending food to people. 
But then he looked at the idea of how much what the capacity was, how much the rent was costing. Because here in Vancouver, British Columbia, rent is extortionate. It's crazy. It's super expensive. Okay. So what he ended up doing was he just blew out of the lease. Um, there was some COVID regulations around that being okay. The government's like, you cannot harm people from leaving a lease during this time. And so once that got approved, he was like, I'm getting out of here. And he rented, he did everything inside of a shipping container. And so he then put his restaurant in a shipping container because the cost was literally a fraction of the rent to basically just like rented a parking spot and then put the shipping container Mm -hmm. down, got all the permits in place and did it out of there. So that when he did the delivery food during COVID, it cost him, I think, because I think rent before that was about five or $6,000 a month. And then, yeah. And so, which was a lot coming out of your bank account when you only have, when you're at half capacity or no capacity. Mm -hmm. And then the new place was only costing him $800 a month. So huge amounts of savings. And then he's like, I can also just be the cook. He's like, I can go in. I can, my staff can go on CERB if they want. Uh, CERB was the uh, Canadian or the COVID relief fund. It was over the COVID relief fund was. So people could get like a little like money each month. So he's like, go guys, go get that. I'm going to run this. And then he just ran it out of his shipping container. And, and here he is now, now COVID's done and he is still running it. But now he has like tables and stuff outside of his shipping container in the summer and people love it. So that was a shift. And he now opened a different restaurant. Like it's, it's not the same restaurant. It's, It's not a partner or anything like that. He just like, he loves to cook and partner with someone else to open another dining experience. And so that shift is the ability to make those decisions. I also knew people again that were like, okay, uh, like there's a yoga studio here in Vancouver. There was like, I think they had like 20 or 30 locations. And once they said, you can't have people, they just shut, like they shut down and called it quits literally that same day because they were, specifically running off of monthly recurring revenue or MRR, right? And so you have a certain amount of people paying this much money monthly. And when that stops, they're like, that is $150,000 per month times 20 studios not coming in. And this is how much rent we have to pay. They're like, if we stop, if we don't do that for three months, because we don't know how long this is going to last. Thank God they did it right at the beginning and they just called it and they're done. And they made that decision. And now you know, the owners are like, we're good. The, st- uh, the other yoga teachers, they found other places to yoga. And so, yeah, it's like, you've got to make the decision for yourself. It's got to make sense for you, how you pivot, what makes sense. I-, I wouldn't recommend ever making a decision, even though this is a difficult ask, try not to make it out of a place of emotionality or anything like that. Like just sit down and be like, okay, what are my options? And just go through them one by one. And if you don't know what all the options are, ask other people, ask a mentor, ask other people that run businesses and just, which is again, that, that, that brings up a whole nother topic about who do I surround myself with? And that's, you know, people that are tr- ideally in the, along the same path as you would be very helpful. Uh, yeah. I hope that answers your question. It does. And, and actually it's fascinating. I, you know, because that, that is such a brilliant example. It's one of those where it's like, I would never have thought of that. What a fantastic solution, right? Which is, Okay, you know, uh, I, I've, I've trimmed all the places I need to trim, found a way to keep it going, hopefully. Turned out it was. And it also has that aspect of it, like like this idea of doing it in the container and that of it's, it almost makes it a little kind of niche in the sense of it's got a unique property about it that says, ha, huh, I should go there and see that, right? You know, I've never been a customer, but I want to see how this works. Next thing you know, I'm a customer, you know? Yeah. Um, and it, it's brilliant. I mean, I, I just, the, the idea of it, I'm sure the picture in my head is not, <laughs> you know, quite right, but um, it's such a brilliant idea. And like you say, then it's like, okay, well, get in the car park, right? Solve that problem, right? Uh, this location's not working, pick it up, go somewhere else. A lot easier than than opening up a new you know, be, being tied to a location that involves contracts and, and buildings and everything else. It, it's brilliant. And, and I, yeah. I think that's, you know, a, a great way around solving that problem. And a, another good example of that, that has always fascinated me because it's food trucks. It's yeah. such a brilliant concept, you know, um, anywhere you go now, right? 
especially any gathering for something, there, there's going to be a food truck. I mean, it's it almost is an industry that seems to me like it built itself and just works. Yeah. You know, um, and something like that. Uh, now, I know, you know, we have been talking a long time and and we, we said this would happen, right? Uh, to the listeners and the viewers, we said, once we get started, th- there's going to be, you know, we could do this for hours, but but I do, I, I absolutely have to ask about the, the, you know, the acting and, and some of these other areas that you've mentioned. And again, folks, we're going to put links in the show notes for everything on this. And also, don't let me forget, um, if you could give me a link to the book that you mentioned as well, and I could put that for folks, and, and I'd love to read that myself. But please tell us about this, because I, I can honestly say I think you're the only person I've ever spoken to who's who is uh you know an actor dog walker and and all of these fascinating like that sounds cool so please please tell me about it sure uh so yeah i started uh when i was young i wanted to be an actor wanted to be an artist so i went to school for theater and musical musical theater and film and right out of university i got an agent in the background world and just that's what i started i just started doing random background gigs for random movies. And it was fun. I really, I really enjoyed it. But then I wanted to start speaking and do larger parts. And uh, I remember the very first call I got was uh, my agent's like, hey, do you know how to juggle? And I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're like, great. So, and the way auditions work is they'll call you the night before and tell you that your audition's tomorrow morning. Like, that's how long oh, you have to okay. practice your... Wow. Yeah, that's all you get to practice your lines or do anything. So they're like, yeah, so it's tomorrow here's the location, 9am. Good luck. The problem is I didn't know how to juggle. No. (laughs) So I had a feeling this is where this was going to go. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I immediately uh, ran to my friend's house was like, Hey, um, I need to learn how to juggle. I know that you know how to juggle. Can you teach me? I've only got a couple of hours. And he's like, sure. So he's got these things called scarfs, which are like little balls with scarfs on the end of them. So that when you throw them through the air, they travel really slow. And so oh, I, okay. yeah, so I practiced with those to start. He was teaching me. I look silly because I'm like biting my tongue and squinting. My, like I'm all over the place, like trying to figure it out. Uh, and then I work my way up to two balls regularly and then three balls. But I can only juggle for a couple of seconds. But I think like, OK, I can okay. I think I think I can fake this. And then he's like, you should go to bed. You need to like get it in your muscle memory. You need to rest and relax and otherwise you're you're going to be brain dead tomorrow i was like okay go to bed wake up practice a little bit more it's a little better but still i think the longest i could juggle for at that moment was about five or six seconds okay i open the door to the audition room i walk in it is packed with jugglers clowns and magicians (laughs) like 15 pins bouncing them off the wall i'm like oh "Oh my gosh There's and the one I, with the chainsaws. And, yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mortified. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to embarrass myself and my agent. And so I'm sitting down in the room and I'm watching people go in and I'm like, maybe I can just leave. Maybe I can just like tell them I'm sick. I can't do it. <laughs> Come up with an excuse. And then all of a sudden I hear Josh Green, uh, we're ready for you. Come on in. And I was like, oh boy, I go in. I start doing it. I'm biting my lip and my tongue. I'm dropping them. I'm picking them back up. And they're like, okay, that's enough. Thank you. I was like, okay. <laughs> I leave. I had this, this really good pact with my agent where I said, anytime I do an audition, please give me feedback. And she's like, absolutely. I'll ask them how they thought and we'll figure it out. We want you to improve. We want you to get better. And she calls me and she's like, so how did you think I, you did? And I was like, it was, I'm like, okay, I could have been better. I wish I was better. <laughs> and she's like, well, you nailed it. You got the part. I was like, oh. what? I was like, amazing. And she's like, yeah, the part is called the stupid jester. I was like, ah, oh, ah. Make- so like, that's the thing is like, I was perfect just the way I was and everyone else was too good. They were like, no, we- these guys. So when I did it, they're like, yeah, you're good. Like yeah. you-, you don't need to do anything else. You obviously understand the character. It was just me being like, ah, uh, so that is was it, really is that what you. Is that where you come back and you're like, yeah, see, I thought to play at this angle. And that's the, that's what I yeah. thought. <laughs> yeah, that's the, the fake it till you make it, right? I was like, yeah, I really understood that I was supposed to be an idiot. And like, I was frustrated too at the time because I wasn't given any sides because there was no, 
dialogue from me. It was just simply me juggling. And, but I was on screen for like three minutes uh, of like screen time because of like this, they basically took uh, the main character and then cast a spell on him and he became me, the stupid jester. Okay. And he was imprisoned in my body for sev- like for a lot of the movie. And so <laughs> I'm on the whole time, but I didn't know like if I'd gotten the sides or was told what the title was, I might have understood like, oh, it's the stupid jester. But I think it worked out really well because I just simply was myself and that was enough. And like, that's a really good lesson for anyone to be like, oh, I'm not good enough. Trust me. Somewhere someone's looking for you specifically. So mm-hmm. get out there and do whatever it is you got to do. I recommend it. <laughs> I love that story. Uh, I love because yeah, that 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 actually applies to so many things, right? But but I love that the, the idea of like you know uh, it's almost as if if you'd have done like you know really mastered the juggling and you're doing this and you're like look at me I'm so fantastic and then they say to you could you drop it occasionally you know? <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. And you're like, do you know how late I was up last night trying to learn to juggle? (laughs) And now you want me to mess it up? (laughs) Oh, I love that. I love that. I was going to say, and then it wasn't too long after I realized, just to answer your question, that because you have to audition and you only get less than 24 hours to audition, I had to eventually like lose, quit, say I was sick at every job I ever had. Mm. And that kind of frustrated me over time. So that's when I shifted and was like, if I ran my own business, I'd be able to get more auditions and not have to quit the job that I was in, which then shifted me over to running as many businesses as I had. Okay, because I was I was gonna ask you, like, how how do you go from from here to there? And and you've connected the dots for us, right? So that yeah. that's great. Because uh, you know, th- that is part of it too, I think, is it's almost like a pivot to, to to keep all options open, right? And and so I I love that. And uh, I, I'm going to ask you here something that's always fascinated me. So if if this is an industry secret, you just give me the nod, and you don't you don't have to answer it. But when folks are in the background and you see them talking, is that scripted or do they just say move your mouth like you're having a conversation? The latter. Uh, uh, like, oh, okay. Yeah, they're pretty much just going like avocado, pumpkin, avocado, pumpkin, avocado, pumpkin. Like, <laughs> yeah, because most of the time they'll ask you not to make any noise, right? They don't because like mm-hmm. because the main actors are are having the dialogue, so we're back there just mm-hmm. going, yeah, right. That's yeah. right. That's it. <laughs> so so that that's great. I love this because that's what I you know it's like if it was me, I think that's what I would do. But then I start, you know, Harry, you're like, now I'm overthinking it because I'm like, but what if I'm in the background and I'm supposed to be having an argument? How do I make a silent argument? <laughs> you know, yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I've just broken up with my girlfriend. How, how do I how do I make that silent on the camera? You know, it's like, I'm not Buster Keaton, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, a, there's this great meme um, of, uh, it's a background actor in I think it is it's one of the James Bonds with Daniel Craig um, okay and there's just a guy sweeping but uh-huh. he, he but, the, but the broom isn't touching the ground because he can't make any noise and they kept oh. it, it <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah they kept it in the final cut so if you look you can just see him like <laughs> okay I gotta go looking for this now yeah. I gotta go look you'll, this, you'll this find is one it. of those where it's like gotta hunt it down right yeah I gotta see this I'm like I see the thing yeah, yeah there I, it is. you know it's Oh my gosh! So okay, we 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 we're gonna have to uh, m- move to closing the conversation here because yeah. I've uh, taken so much of your time, and like I say, there's a thousand other questions for us to talk about. Um, but what I do want to ask you is, you know, given where you're at now, and and a hugely successful career of so many things, it's fascinating. Uh, you know, for you, wh- where you're at now, do you have any future plans that is like, okay, this is the next big thing that I've never done that I want to do? Um, and don't give away any secrets because we don't want anyone to go take that business from you. But, you know, <laughs> it's, I think it's always interesting to see where folks want to take themselves next. Is it something you've thought about at all? All, all the time. I think about a lot of things. And, uh, the, like so, right now I am writing a book. Uh, it's I'm ah. hoping to have it published by 
within the next six months or so. And that book takes two of my big passions, which is video games and business, and mashes them together to make an easily digestible version of business. Because I think that a lot of people tend to jump into business thinking they're level 34 and they're right up against, you know, Ganon right out of the gate. And I'm like, I think you should start at level one and work your way up. Like, and again, everyone's yeah. a little bit different, yeah. right? Some people, they have the cheat codes, they have a bit more money, their parents own a marketing company. So, you know, that's going to change the difficulty setting of that video game for them. But the reality is that we're all playing the same game and it can be vastly helpful if you learn the controls, understand how it works and work your way up. And so that's kind of what that book talks about. And I'm currently in the process. It's at the editors now. We're working back and forth to get that published over the next six months, which I'm excited about. So that's the, a big Great. goal of mine is to have that book published. Um, and then the other thing, I spent a year and a bit in Japan and I love more than anything, and I wish they were more of them, onsens or uh, hot springs. And, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, and so, but there, they were like, it was their onsens that they had everywhere, their hot springs were the exact same as like anyone else's community center. They were everywhere. They're like a Starbucks, and they're not very oh. expensive, but they're so beautiful and so relaxing, and it's part of the ritual that like you, you, you leave work, you go to the hot spring, you bathe with your friends, you do your thing, then you afterwards, after you're done relaxing, you might go to the to the bar, the izakaya, have a couple of drinks, and then you go home. And here, uh, at least in Canada, uh, I, I'm not so sure about the UK. Maybe it's different there. I don't know. But uh, I know that like here, if I go to the spa or anything like that, it's it's quite expensive. Like we we have one up in Whistler that's about 125 dollars if I want to go. And I think for the average person. Uh, again, I think 60% of North America makes is living paycheck to paycheck. And so asking someone to drop $125 just for one day at a hot spring is, is asking a lot. And so I, I love the idea of bringing that hot spring somewhere locally in the lower mainland or the Pacific Northwest where people can like just come and relax on a regular basis. And so I have looked at real estate in different areas in like just south of the border in Washington, different areas in like Vancouver, the outskirts areas there, and even all the way down as you go first to the, further to like Portland or some of the islands. And uh, other people have done similar-esque things, which is great because they've already done the market feasibility report for me, which is nice. They're highly successful. So I think that that idea of a more... Uh, I don't want to say average Joe, but a more accessible spa and relaxation hot spring for people is something I'd really like to offer people. You know, I love this idea because that 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 is right in line with something that that I think, which is uh, I I don't think we have enough downtime anymore, right? I I think that we've all become you know as a population so programmed to to always be doing something, you know, right up there with the short attention span, right? The, you know, having that downtime is so important, especially when you, all the topics we've been talking about today, right? You, you're you going to burn out. It, it's it's going to happen if you keep doing this. So I love this idea of something that helps people just relax, get with friends, right? Just think about nothing. Just, just, do something for the fun of doing it and, and relaxing. So that's great. I love that idea. And, you know, right now I'll extend the invite when you've got the book to come back because I, I definitely want to hear more about this. Also because uh, I'm a huge game player myself and, you know, obviously lo love games. And, and I always try to, and this is probably another topic we, we didn't have time to touch on, we should talk about sometime, which is um, I'm always finding ways the gamification of everything and how yeah. I find that for me and, and so many others, that seems to drive things a lot more than just saying, well, I should do this. If you, if you turn it into a game, you know, um, somehow it's just becomes a, something that you do more often and, and feels more fun to do than just, Oh, I should reach whatever a thousand followers this month, make it into a game somehow. You know? So Josh, uh, you know, thank you so much for being with us today. And and this has been a, I knew this was going to be a fantastic conversation. 
And and I, I feel like I've got little hidden secrets here that, you know, I can take away and hopefully other people can as well. Please tell everybody where they can find you. We will put links for all the things in the show notes, but tell everybody where they can find you because I think that for a lot of folks, um, you know, I'm, Josh, I'm going to say it now, I think you're an invaluable resource for so many people. So thank you for that. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me, Peter. I appreciate it immensely. Um, you can find me at thetangibleplan.com. Uh, I'm a huge proponent of anytime you're getting advice from someone, if they're not giving you something tangible, something you can use, go somewhere else, unless it's free. If it's free, go nuts. But if it costs money, make sure you're getting something out of it, something like that you can hold and touch. And so that's why it's called The Tangible Plan. Uh, you can go there. You can send me an email. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, anything you want to do. Uh, yeah, check me out and sit down with me for 15 minutes or 20 minutes for free. We'll have a chat, see where you're at, see if there's anything I can do to help. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah, everybody, we're going to put links in the show notes for all of these things. And, and so I'm sure that for everything that we've spoken about here, lots of people have other, other topics and other questions. And, and certainly reaching out to you directly is, is the way to go. And, and they should definitely avow themselves of your services. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, you know, again, greatly appreciate it. Looking forward to, to hearing about this book when it comes out and, and, and going through there and talking about that. Absolutely fascinating. Josh, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Peter. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Yep. Okay, folks, you know, uh, you know where to, to go to find everything for this. Go to peterwinham.com. Um, you know, I'll have links there for the for the podcast or the video, depending on whichever one you're listening or watching. For the other one, we'll put everything in the show notes as well. And I, I'm so thrilled to to have Josh as the, the first guest on this podcast. And hopefully, you know, I'm always looking for other folks and that as well. So if you think you can, you know, want to be on here, reach out to me, peterwidham.com, and we will take it from there. Thanks, everybody. See you later.